This is Car Expert. We're losing yet another hot hatch, right? Seemingly as the hot hatch segment is heating up. You buy the 110 and suffer the fact that it's not quite as stylistically or aesthetically beautiful. The five door, I'm not so sure about. It's not going to be quick, is it? My Jimny gets from zero to 100 in yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Tony Crawford. G'day, Mandy, and lovely to see you, Mandy. And lovely to see you and hear you as well, Croft. Yes, happy new year to you too. Um, William Stopford, happy new year. Is it too late to say happy new year now? I was was watching a comedian saying that the cutoff is the 10th. Oh, really? I think it's two weeks, which is way over two weeks anyway. But I I feel like it, it doesn't grow old until you've seen that person. Exactly. That's fair. I reckon. But yeah. then if you don't see them until April, then you yeah, can say Happy New weird. Year in April. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I accept I accept the greeting and I return it to you. Happy <laughs> New Year, Mandy. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Uh, I couldn't believe this um, this news story you wrote, Will, this week about the Citroen CEO saying SUVs are toast. I don't know whether I believe this, seeing as, you know, Australia sell 50% of our market share are SUVs. <laughs> What's he it's, talking about? Um, it's interesting. So Vincent Covey said the world of SUVs is done, but then said, okay, the numbers are not telling me I'm right. <laughs> so that's a, it's a good disclaimer to, to put there. And he also said that um, he sees a world where more vehicles will be marketed as SUVs, but they're more likely to resemble high riding sedans. Now, coincidentally, Citroen has just re- introduced the C4X, which is a high riding sedan <laughs> so <laughs> and we're also talking about a brand that has two maybe three vehicles that are marketed as suvs because they've got the c3 aircross the c5 aircross and then the c4 which is like a hatch but it's kind of an suv it's we're, we're seeing a lot of these vehicles come out that are kind of like blurring the lines between car and suv a toyota crown being one uh peugeot 408 being another but it was a pretty bold claim for for him to say that he thinks suvs as in kind of the more traditional boxy suvs are going away and he wasn't just talking about thirsty combustion powered suvs at all it was actually also made a, a broader point about battery size and why large electric SUVs are going to become, well, I guess, fall out of, uh, of favour in, in due course. So what he told um, the UK publication Auto Express is that on a battery EV, if your aerodynamics are wrong, the penalty in terms of range is massive. You can lose a massive, I'm paraphrasing here, but you can, you, you can lose a lot of range by having uh, bad aerodynamics. Now, of course, the most aerodynamic shapes tend to be lower and sleeker and curvier, and SUVs often tend to be taller and, and boxier and, and more upright. So he thinks that uh, people are going to start moving away from heavy vehicles and vehicles with large batteries, because of course, large batteries bring large, a, a lot of weight. Um, and he thinks that governments are going to start taxing um, vehicles that are heavy um, or um, that have you know large batteries uh, or incentivizing lighter vehicles, et cetera. And he thinks that all of these kind of... Um, Factors. movements uh, within the broader industry are going to uh, effectively see SUV market share decline. Of course, he says that while also saying that more vehicles will be called SUVs. So, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> very interesting remarks from the CEO of Citroen. Uh, I think he he does have a point. Obviously, he, he does work for a company that's never really 
been a traditionally big player in the SUV segment. So if the if the broader market did move away from from SUVs, uh, wouldn't affect Citroen too much. He also works. He also leads a company that. The largest battery they currently offer is 50 kilowatt hours when, you know, elsewhere in the market, you've got 100, 120 kilowatt hour batteries. So I'm not sure how much stock we should necessarily put in what the CEO of Citroen is saying, but I thought they were very interesting remarks. Hmm. What are your thoughts, Croft? Oh, Mandy, I, 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 well, clearly, as he rightly says, the figures don't support what he says. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I, I've been thinking when are people going to get sensible and and buy more wagons and you know proper crossovers that don't really ride that high but drive a lot better and far more dynamic in their ability to go around corners you know if you're lower to the ground obviously but you know at the end of the day every second person's driving an SUV most families have got one and um, people like to see over you know they like to see what's ahead of them We've all been stuck behind an SUV in traffic and it's maddening when you can't see anything. You can't sort of work out your braking distances. You've got to hang a long way back. And all those, you know, seemingly insignificant factors are the reason why a lot of people um, buy SUVs today and the perceived perception that they carry more than a, than a wagon, which, of course, in many cases they don't. Um, but it's the flavour of the month and it's been that way. It's not a fad. Because it's been that way for a decade plus. It's been the flavour of the month for 10 years. <laughs> flavour of the century. Um, yeah. I, I think it's also worth noting that SUVs currently account for actually around 50% of sales in Europe. And, and Europe's kind of the, the, the land of, of MPVs and station wagons, but they have mm. taken to SUVs just as much yeah. as, as North America, as Australia, as we're also seeing yeah. in China as well. The whole world is embracing SUVs because there's – there's the, the the benefits of having the higher hip point, um, better ground clearance, particularly if you live in a country where the roads are really poorly surfaced. Um, but uh, last year, actually, in Australia, SUVs accounted for around 53.1, sorry, not around, exactly 53.1% of the Australian new car market. Now, I think that's, that's a really interesting figure because that 53.1% doesn't just include Toyota Land Cruisers and, and, and Prados and, and the like, but it also includes things like a Kia Stonic, which is effectively a Rio with a different body, the same interior, the same engines, virtually no more ride height and actually not that much more weight, to be honest. So the SUV term has just been... It used to be in back in my day, an SUV was, you know, a body on frame off-roader with four-wheel drive and is just the, – the term now just applies to anything. You could introduce a, a hatchback and a company could potentially just market it as an SUV and people would, would – some people might actually believe it. I remember the mm. Infiniti Q30 and QX30, weren't they – one of them was an SUV or, or both of them were marketed as SUVs but they looked the same and wow. it's just – SUV nowadays just pretty much means for a lot of vehicles a little bit of plastic cladding and maybe it sits slightly higher or has a slightly higher hit point. Yeah. So I don't think that's going away. And I think especially as we as we uh, as electric vehicle sales continue to increase and you know batteries tend to be placed below the cabin of a vehicle, um, having that little bit of extra height to a vehicle can help disguise that. Um, packaging-wise, so I don't think SUVs as a marketing term are going away. But whether boxier or SUVs with large batteries or thirsty petrol engines go away, that's another matter. Yeah. 
Well, if you've got any thoughts on that, you can uh, always email us, podcast at carexpert.com.au. All right, and we're going to talk about more news now. Croft, the Mercedes-Benz EQE, we've got pricing for Australia. How much are we up for with this? Yeah, so Mercedes-Benz have revealed uh, a three-model lineup with the EQE, the EQE 300, EQE 350 4Matic, four-wheel drive, and high-performance Mercedes-AMG EQE 53 4Matic Plus. What a mouthful. Um, <laughs> pricing starts at $134,900 before on roads for the, uh, for the entry-level EQE 300. Heading up to heading north of two hundred grand, so two hundred and fourteen nine hundred before on roads for the uh, top spec EQE fifty three formatic AMG version. Uh, I don't know what you think of these cars in terms of design, guys, but the, I mean, they're not the most handsome vehicles in the world. I certainly mm. don't like the front uh, of this vehicle. Um, or any of the EQs, to be honest, but uh, I don't mind the rear of this vehicle um, at all. What do you think, Will, on design? Uh, look, I thought I was going to like the EQS, and then I saw it in person, and I didn't like it. But then I saw it again, I thought, oh, maybe I like it. And then I saw it again, I'm like, no, I don't like it. And I think <laughs> the EQS has got the benefit of having, you know, it's much longer. So this design language maybe works a little bit better. It looks a little bit more kind of impressive, but... Right. All just blobs and it, that also applies to the eqe suv and the eqs suv they're all just kind of aerodynamic blobs and as someone who personally yeah. likes very it, angular sharp lines it's, it's it does it's nothing good. for me whatsoever no. yeah so the the entire range is fitted with an 89 kilowatt hour battery which is quite big um and the eqe 300 entry level has a range of 626 k so it's a decent range right um uh, the, the, the 354 Matic 590. So obviously with the electric stuff, you you lose range with performance and then down to the uh, EQE AMG 4 Matic 53, you're only getting 500Ks of claimed range. Of course, when you hammer these things, as Paul has often shown on his videos with uh, EVs, you really go through your range when you start hammering these uh, EVs. Um, doesn't matter how big the battery is for that matter. They just chew up range, so don't expect to get range if you go to your favourite mountain road and hammer your uh, EQE. But, yeah, um, they're expensive. Um, they still are. We, we're still paying big bucks for um, luxury EVs, and uh, this is testament to that. Will? I, look, I, I think it's also worth noting as well, uh, James Wong actually attended the overseas launch of the Mercedes-AMG EQE 53. I think I'm missing half the name there. Um, so if you do want to hear, read his thoughts on that, uh, check out the site. Um, I think his overall kind of conclusion was that it didn't really feel particularly sporty um, or super engaging, but uh, we'll have to uh, wait and see uh, when we actually get it here in Australia and, and get kind of an extended loan with it because, you know, when you're, when you're at a launch, you don't have a, a massive yeah. amount of time with a car. Let's see uh, how this feels um, when we've got to a whole week with it. Yep. Hmm. Nice. Uh, now, Will, GWM have revealed photos, well, official photos now of the tank 700 after those god-awful photos released by the government recently. Oh, oh my goodness. This is... Honestly, I have never seen 
the comments section, there wasn't a single person that said it looked good. Like everyone <laughs> was saying how ugly it was. And I just was thinking, guys, look, uh, guys, girls, it's these Chinese Ministry of in- Industry and Information Technology photos are always atrocious. They're always like the car in like white against a gray wall with base wheels. Like it'll look, you know, in a higher spec trim, it'll look more like the concept. And look, <laughs> great wall motor clearly. <laughs> I have to really hand it to their social team because they posted on, on Tank, the Tank brand's official Weibo account in China. They posted the official image with the caption, I didn't take a good ID photo. <laughs> With a little smiling fox emoji. <laughs> so they acknowledge it. They acknowledge because no. evidently people were saying things about it in China. But um, as well, but if you actually look at the official image, it looks almost exactly like the concept from 2021. Mm-hmm. And I know some people have subsequently seen um, this photo and still think it's ugly. I I don't know if, I, if, if, if I'm going to, you know, shock people here but i actually think it looks kind of decent to me i i, I don't know I'm curious to hear what you From guys think but it's, will. it's very <laughs> angular it's very aggressive it's got these big flared wheel arches it's got the the external spare wheel carrier I'm not usually a huge fan of that but it all kind of works and we haven't seen the interior yet but the concept was absolutely luxe with like covered in suede and 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 whatnot um so for those of you who aren't really familiar with with who tank is tank is one of the uh brands uh, that's part of the great wall motor uh umbrella uh the first tank model was the 300 which actually is on sale here now they will be sold here as a gwm tank 300 through gwm showrooms but basically the brand was created to sell rugged body on frame suvs um, with you know bluff boxy styling uh the tank they haven't released uh the company hasn't released too much information but the concept came with a turbocharged three liter petrol v6 engine and a nine speed automatic transmission uh they also suggested that hybrid and plug-in hybrid options would be available uh so in the tank 500 which is a a lot more conservatively styled it looks kind of vaguely prado-esque uh the three liter petrol v6 has 265 kilowatts power and 500 meters of torque so you know decent amount of grunt there the 700 concept was also advertised as having off-road equipment like creep and waiting modes, uh, tank turn function appropriately enough, um, and locking front, center, and rear differentials, as well as air suspension. The exterior has been designed to look really rugged and aggressive, but the interior of the concept was was really, really luxurious, um, similar to other tank products, as we've seen with like the Tank 300, con- uh, the Tank 300, for example, it's got a very Mercedes G-Class inspired interior, um, and the 700 was just covered in leather and suede and uh, and and whatnot so it's really interesting to see as well what what gwm's aspirations are for the tank brand because while you know evs are are growing in popularity throughout the world here gwm is pouring money into a brand that will have electrified options in the form of hybrids and plug-in hybrids the tank 300 is coming here as a hybrid for example but it hasn't been confirmed to have any EV options as of yet, um, but they have got big aspirations for it because they are aiming to sell 500,000 tank vehicles globally in 2025 to become the top off-road SUV brand in the world in terms of market share. So they're effectively saying that they want to overtake the likes of 
Jeep and Land Rover. So you've got the 300, you've got the 500, which is roughly Land Cruiser sized. You've got the 700, which is slightly, ever so slightly larger than a Land Cruiser in some dimensions. And they've also revealed a concept a couple of years ago called the 800, which was this glitzy, bechromed, two-tone, Maybach-inspired SUV, for lack of a better uh, description. So a very interesting brand. Um, so far, 700 has not been confirmed for Australia, um, but we will see the 300 here this year. Looking forward to getting behind the wheel of that. Excellent. Mm. What are your thoughts on that one, Croft? Oh, look, I think I don't mind the look of the Tank 300 or the five for that matter, but I don't know about the seven, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. looks a bit odd to me. Um, looks a bit dated, that front end, um, already, whereas, I don't know, the interiors look pretty good. I know we haven't seen the interior of this one, but I like that, I like that sort of Mercedes-inspired, you know, those prop vents they have. It looks quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, people are looking for... Cheaper alternatives uh, with EVs, we all know that brand really doesn't matter or heritage doesn't matter. People uh, took on Tesla in droves and they're taking on um, other EVs in droves such as Addo 3 and uh, from BYD and you've got Aon launching. So, you know, it's a really interesting world. I don't think you can rule anyone in or out. Um, you know, old, you know, traditional business formula isn't really – uh, it doesn't really gel with uh, EV brands. They can come straight in, in year one like BYD and kick some goals. They don't need to build brand credibility. Um, people don't really look for that. As I think Will might have said before, it actually is in a hindrance sometimes, legacy brands for EVs because people still have that thing, oh, these, uh, it's not a modern company that does EVs. So um, these brands have – yeah, sorry, Will. I was just going to say, I think I think it's also worth noting as well that when GWM is bringing its tank products here, it's going to sell them as GWMs. When they bring their Aura EVs here, they're going to sell them as GWM Auras. So they're bringing in very disparate vehicles under one big GWM branded umbrella, which will give mm-hmm. them a, a very full model line ranging from, you know, small petrol powered crossovers to quirky little EV hatchbacks all the way up to potentially beasts like this um and uh, it'll be a very 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 varied model range locally and for our last story will renault has revealed its perfect send-off for its megan rs yes and i'm going to butcher the french pronunciation dating motion i really should uh, <laughs> get a better handle on my french the renault megan rs ultim um, has been revealed as a <laughs> As a as a farewell addition uh, before the petrol Megane line exits the local lineup this year, and uh, the Ultim is coming here. Uh, so what we're looking at here is no performance changes here over the the standard Megane RS, um, but a stripe package that's inspired by Renault's new logo, um, a black finish for the. Um, 
for elements like the window frames, the wheels, the, the rear diffuser, the door handles, the logos, etc. Um, and uh, a limited color range. So it'll be available in star black, pearl white, Sirius yellow, and tonic orange. And inside, Recaro bucket seats finished in Alcantara upholstery and uh, some other little details like a, a numbered metal plaque. So it's, it's kind of a pretty standard farewell edition, but I thought it was worth discussing because we're, we're losing yet another hot hatch, right? Seemingly as the hot hatch segment is, is heating up. So we, we talk about buyers gravitating towards utes and SUVs and, and uh, there's a, a growing demand for electric vehicles, but uh, there's a bit of a resurgence in the hot hatch segment because not only do we have a new generation of Civic Type R coming this year, but Toyota will be introducing the GR Corolla, um, which is very exciting. But while the Megane is leaving, the Ford Focus ST is also left the local mm. market as well. Um, so it's uh, it's a bit of an interesting time for the hot hatch segment. Now, Tony, you, you've driven a Megane RS before. Is it uh, going to be sad to see this go? Oh, yeah. This, this is one of my all-time favourite cars, um, Megane RS. It was uh, scalpel sharp in the corners and you know, driver feel and feedback, even though it was rear-wheel steer. Um, a lot of people didn't like that. I, I actually love that because every time, anytime you can turn less into a corner, particularly if you're on sort of twisty roads is a good thing. You just got to get used to it. And some people just couldn't get used to it. Um, but I really love this car. It's always been a good car from right back in the generations, right? So, yeah, I'm, um, do, do we know how much this is, by the way? No, they haven't revealed oh, okay. um, local pricing and specs, but we know that the, the regular Megane RS had a bit of a price increase recently. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, but we don't know exactly yet how much this will yeah. cost or, or when during the yeah. year. Uh, they've, they've indicated a mid-year launch. Oh, this mm. could be quite an in-demand thing, and I, I doubt they'll bring many here Uh I don't know whether you discussed any numbers or whether they did, but there's obviously not going to be that many available. Um, but, yeah, look, I, there's one that uh, parks next to me at the gym each morning in that orangey colour. I don't know what that orange is actually called officially, but it's brilliant uh, car. I mean, it it's so – it's jaw-dropping, really, how good that thing is. It's uh, mm. And as I said, it's right up there with the world's best hot hatches. So, yeah, sad, but uh, we're going to get a lot of new uh, EV um, uh, hot hot hatches from Alpine, aren't we? Or Alpine. So it's it's funny that you should say that because this will actually be the last Renault Sport branded vehicle uh, as Renault uh, refocuses on the Alpine brand, uh, which will grow. Currently, it only has one sports coupe, uh, but it will soon get a hot hatch. It'll get a, a midsize SUV, and there's there's talk of it uh, of the uh, the model lineup growing and um, yeah, Renault the brand Five is coming. Right, an Alpine version, yeah. which is going to yeah. be insane because we've all seen pics of that on our site and it looks mental. And I, I reckon they're not going to lose much sleep over this because I reckon that um, a Renault 5 and the Alpine version of that will just really sell like hotcakes to the right buyer. And uh, we've all seen the Megane, uh, e, the Megane E, uh, at least I've saw that in Europe recently and um, they've actually got one in Sydney now. Um, we had another look at it out at Renault the other day or the other week, and uh, this is a very good-looking car. In fact, I read a Top Gear uh, three-way recently with ID4 and I think Tesla, 
and the Magan E was easily won that three-way comparison hmm. uh, according to Top Gear. So um, interesting times we uh, that Renault, I think they've only can look forward and up as far as all this goes. But, yeah, Will's right. It's sad to see these things go, but this is what's happening, right? Forward axing ST Focus and uh, Fiesta ST. Um, but as they axe and, you know, like Will said, Corolla GR is, is coming in. I can't wait to drive that. That's going to be uh, awesome. I mean, Yaris GR is insane. Um, and they're all expensive, right? It's no point in harping. You know, I know when I wrote the Type R review, people are happy. Oh, it's gone up seventy-two grand drive away, which is about sixty-six uh, in retail. Um, everything's gone up. I mean, the price of milk's gone up. <laughs> Every car's gone up a lot, uh, and we all know the reasons why. There's a myriad of reasons why. So I don't think you can harp on prices if you don't like it and you don't want to pay it. Don't buy it. Um, yeah. That's my reaction to people that complain about pricing. You don't have to buy it. No one's forcing you. Um, but they are good cars, a lot of these cars. Now, before we do wrap up car news, we, we couldn't finish it without talking about the reveal of the five-door Suzuki Jimny and what better person to talk to than a Jimny owner. Mike Costello, hello. Hello, Mandy. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, what do you think? So we've known the five-door Jimny was coming for a very long time, so nobody was particularly surprised. And it's no surprise that the company chose Auto Expo in Delhi in India to reveal this car because that's where it's being built, including for Australia, unlike the three-door, which is made in Japan, India being Suzuki's biggest market by a significant margin. Um, and so, look, it's pretty much exactly what you'd expect, right? It's 340 millimetres longer than the three-door, both by overall length and between the wheels. Um, but it's still tiny. It's still less than four metres long. So it's still shorter than a Mazda 2 or a Toyota Yaris. So we're not exactly talking about a big car here. Um, but it does have room in the back seats. I've actually carried two adults in the back of my three-door Jimny. They were complaining about it, but they technically fit. So I can probably <laughs> say that the five-door will be able to accommodate uh, more people pretty comfortably, um, albeit without much boot space. Should also be a bit more stable and a bit more, um, I guess, uh, easy to drive on, on long highway stints than the little three-door, which gets blown around by crosswinds like you would not believe. Unfortunately, though, Suzuki hasn't really done anything with the drivetrain. It retains the 1.5-litre petrol. Admittedly, it does pick up a 12-volt battery with a stop-start system, so that is one difference. But a four-speed automatic and a five-speed manual and a 1.5-litre and a five-door SUV... I mean, my three-door is gutless as it is. I'm pulling 3,700 RPM at 110k an hour, which is pretty unpleasant in fifth. So I can't imagine this is going to be any better. Um, <laughs> so that's a bit disappointing. But overall, I mean, it's exactly what you think. One concern I had was that because it's sort of, I guess, being premiered in a developing market, that Suzuki may not put safety at the forefront. But... Uh, pleasingly, it has fitted full-length curtain airbags for front and rear passengers, which is which is a good thing, obviously. Um, and I guess looks-wise, yeah, I think that little third window behind the C-pillar is a little bit dinky looking, but I don't really know what option you'd have other than that. And pleasingly enough, Suzuki's stretched the wheelbase, but it's kept those overhangs basically non-existent. So your departure and approach angles are still fantastic. Uh, what do you guys reckon? Uh, I actually think this looks better than really? the three-door. Oh. To be honest, it looks more like a proper, substantial. It's even got more G-Wagon um, aspirations, <laughs> if you like. 
Um, Because I always consider this like an absolute affordable G-Wagon because it can go anywhere, right? I mean, It it can. It really can. I've put that to the test. I've I've gone out bush bashing in my chimney with uh, mates in Wranglers and Land Cruisers and all sorts of things, and I've kept up. I mean, I wasn't comfortable, but I kept up. (laughs) What a a great compero off-road comparison between the four-door chimney and a freaking G-Wagon. Yeah, it'll get you just as far, just probably not in quite as much comfort. And, and doing uh, um, doing laps of Chapel Street at two in the morning in a chimney is not quite as cool as doing one in a G-Wagon either. <laughs> there you go. I heard what that 1.5 litre go pulling the extra weight. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be quick, is it? Um, my chimney yeah. gets from zero to 100 in yes. Um, <laughs> if, if, you've got a, if you've got a tailwind and you're going downhill, you might get to 100. So the five-door, I'm not so sure about. Um, probably great for Indy. I mean, it'd be fine off-road, won't it? But it's, yeah, it's not mm. going to be the quickest thing in the world. But um, it was really interesting. I mean, we were talking about this off-air, Mandy, but um, this car was sort of the star of the show, I suppose, at the Delhi Auto Expo. But by no means was it the only vehicle that we saw at motor shows over the first week back. In fact, we were bombarded with motor shows to greet us in 2023, which is something that we're not really used to these days. Hmm. So um, I suppose we can start off with the, the Delhi Auto Show. Um, mm. Aside from the Jimny, were there any other standouts? So, yeah, the, the Delhi Auto Expo this year was a real sign for me. So India last year, there was some big news that happened over the break, which is that India actually is now the, the third biggest car market in the world. It, uh, it overtook Japan behind China and the United States. Um, When you consider that there's more than a billion people in India, it's not surprising. But that company is, uh, sorry, that company, that country is is getting wealthier and wealthier and there's a growing middle class that buy vehicles. And there's always been a very rich upper echelon in India, but now there are more people that can afford cars. And a lot of massive car brands are really turning their attention to the Indian market as a huge opportunity. Suzuki is the dominant player there through its Suzuki Maruti subsidiary and it revealed the five-door Jimny, but it also revealed another SUV called, and and please, uh, this name is probably going to offend you, um, the Suzuki Fronks. F-R-O-N-X. Um, I don't really know what to say about hey. that. I'm just going to let that one on. s- sort of percolate. But um, this is a Bellino-based small SUV, sort of like um, what the Mazda CX-3 is to the Mazda 2. It's a, it's a little high-riding crossover. Now, the new Bellino will not come to Australia because it's very much made for third-world countries. But the Franx is the export model. So it'll be made in India like the old Bellino was, but it's going to come to Australia, probably not until early 2024, but it's going to give Suzuki something that sits between the Ignis uh, tiny SUV and the Vitara slightly less tiny SUV. It's going to sit between those and it does actually look quite good. Um, the danger is going to be price, but unlike the S-Cross, which we criticise for pricing because it comes out of Europe, because the Franx is made in India, it should be a lot cheaper and should hopefully restore Suzuki's position as an affordable player in the market. Suzuki uh, also at Auto Expo Delhi revealed the EVX concept, which is itself basically a signpost for its first electric SUV, which will arrive around 2025. This concept model is just that. It's a concept car, but 60 kilowatt hour battery, relatively good looking design developed in collaboration with Toyota. So Toyota will have its own battery electric version of this car. And um, suffice to say that uh, the electric car market in India is growing at a rate of knots. Anyone who's been to Delhi or Mumbai has seen the smog situation there. It is unbelievable how bad the smog is. So the proliferation of EVs in India is a fantastic thing. The other thing at Auto Expo Delhi worth talking about is Tata, uh, obviously global owner of Jaguar Land Rover. 
but uh, has also sold cars in Australia, including the Xenon Ute, a very rough and ready diesel Ute. But it is embracing its electric future for India and revealed a couple of concept cars one called the Sierra, a really, and I encourage everybody listening to go look at this, the Tata Sierra. Um, Suzuki might have something to say about the name Sierra being taken, but there mm-hmm. you go. Um, really good looking, like genuinely cool looking electric SUV. One of the best looking concepts I've seen in quite some time from any brand. Um, I'm really surprised how good Tata has made this look. Uh, it's also got another uh, EV called the Harrier. Uh, a concept called the Avinia, which is a big MPV electric concept, and perhaps most interestingly, an EV version of its Tiago, which is basically a Kia Picanto-sized light car with a tiny, tiny battery and an absolute bargain basement price to electrify the masses. Now, at the same time as we saw Auto Expo in Delhi, we also saw the Auto Salon in Japan, in Tokyo, um, the highlight there being Akio Toyota doing a big keynote speech about that company's plans and talking about its plans to convert classic cars to either electric or hydrogen and to do that to sort of talk about that it revealed the AE86 two iterations of the iconic AE86 coupe one running battery electric and one running a hydrogen combustion engine inspired by its super Taikyu uh, Corolla racing car and basically the idea here was um, and this is a quote from Akio himself is uh, carbon neutrality for protecting beloved cars. I want to dismiss the fear we won't be able to drive our beloved cars. There is a carbon neutral path we can take, he said. Uh, This is obviously alluding to the millions upon millions of combustion-powered enthusiast vehicles that are still out there, Um, and Toyota is obviously hinting at plans to convert some of those to more environmentally friendly technologies. And in the third motor show that was happening, and I'll shut up soon, I promise, uh, is the uh, Brussels motor show. Now, European motor shows have really died lately. Crawford will well remember, once upon a time, Crawford, we used to travel to Europe for a motor show just about every other month. You had Frankfurt, you had Paris, you had Geneva, you had all these motor shows. Obviously, with the proliferation of digital communication tools, those things are dying out, and COVID definitely, I guess, accelerated that uh, demise. But the Brussels show is really a sort of new energy, environmentally friendly focused motor show. And probably the star of it there was the Mazda MX-30 REV. And the reason why that's interesting is because it uses a rotary engine. Um, Mazda has been incredibly keen for a very long time to bring back the beloved Vankel rotary engine, um, but hasn't really been able to because rotaries unfortunately have terrible fuel consumption. And obviously fuel consumption is top of mind for every car brand now. But the way Mazda's gone around that is it's using a rotary, which is a very small, easily packaged engine, um, to be a range extender for a plug-in hybrid version of the MX-30. It's quirky little freestyle-doored crossover SUV. Um, and it hasn't really spoken specifically about the performance figures. Suffice to say, though, that just like a BMW i3 range extender, the rotary engine will kick in and power the battery as a generator rather than powering so it's a series hybrid, Um, once that 18 kilowatt hour battery pack is depleted, so it makes it a plug-in hybrid, gives it a lot more range than the pretty, you know, uh, short range MX-30 EV, which barely does 200 k's per charge, Um, and also, you know, is just such a quirky car, it's a very Mazda car, it looks strange, it's got a rotary engine, if you want your Mazda to be weird and niche and left of centre, this is the car for you. Honestly, if no one's seen this, go on go on to carexpert.com.au and have a look at this, particularly in this paintwork they've mm. got, uh, Moko, that you've stuck those pics with the sort of red 
or I don't even know what that red is. Like it's a strange metallic red that it blends beautifully with that black uh, paint job. I really like this thing, and um, it's, it's, you said that we're not getting it. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's looking unlikely. It's a bit, of a bit of a shame. So this car's been rumoured for ages. I spoke to Alastair Doak, who's the uh, head of marketing for Mazda Australia more than a year ago, and he said to me at the time, yeah, we are so keen on this car. We really want it. Uh, you know, it's exactly what we need from a branding perspective. It brings back the rotary. It gives us a sort of halo, environmentally friendly car. And then six months later, Jack went on a Mazda launch and, and, and Alistair's response was a little bit more guarded, I suppose. And then this press release comes out revealing the vehicle, very much European focused. And Mazda Australia has basically straight batted it and said, yeah, we're focusing on other things now, <laughs> which yes. is code for there's a very good chance it won't come. If it does come, okay. it won't be for at least another year or two. They may decide down the track to bring it as a sort of low-run special edition model, but it's not going to be coming here anytime soon, and they're going to persist with the normal hybrid and the electric-only one, and this car is definitely going to be targeted at Europe. Um, I'm on the fence about this car because, on the one hand, it's needlessly over the top. Like, it's such a complicated, odd way to make a plug-in hybrid, but I also really... You can't complain about a weird car while hoping that car companies retain some character, can you? And I do admire that Mazda has said, you know what, we're not going to take the, the path that everybody else takes. We're actually going to be a bit weird and a bit different and be true to ourselves. And we're going to have a, you know, suicide door, rotary-powered, range-extender series plug-in hybrid crossover, which is one of the weirdest cars that you could have in 2023. But kudos to Mazda for being different, I say. Well, if you'd like to know more about uh, that busy week of motor shows, there's heaps of news articles at carexpert.com.au. Thank you, Mike Costello. Always a pleasure. Croft, now the car that you had over the, the Christmas holidays, you would have had a bit of fun in, the Land Rover Defender V8. How was your time behind the wheel? Mandy, I was so looking forward to this vehicle. Um... Yeah, the Defender 90 V8, or they call it the P525 um, V8, and you can get it in 90 or the 110, the larger five-door. I had the three-door. Now, I really thought I, I was so looking forward to this car, but the moment I got in it, and let's just say that the 90 you buy for styling alone because it's incredibly impractical. Mm. Uh, if you've Even if you've just got to stick one person in the back, it's – a a real chore, and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, this has a supercharged uh, five-litre V8, uh, effectively from the F-Type. Um, so you'd think it would be noisy and boisterous and all that, but the only chance you really get to hear this thing and the fact that it is a V8 is when you start it up and hit the starter button. Otherwise, it's relatively subdued. Um, and I, I can't understand why anyone that would be wanting to pay 200 plus grand plus on roads, because this is $200,000 plus on roads, uh, and the 110 is about 205. This is big bucks, by the way. This is massive money, um, particularly when you can get a P400 um, version for, you know, way, hundred you know, tens of thousands less, about 130. Um, so you would, you'd like to hear that noise, right? I mean, this is kind of a competitor to a G-Wagon in terms of its, in terms of its, uh, cachet and exclusivity and of course cost, although the G-Wagon's up near 400 plus grand now. So I suppose this could be considered cheap compared to a G-Wagon, Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon, 
But anyway, Land Rover Defender have dropped this big engine. They don't have a loud button. Most of every performance SUV I've driven in the last 12 months has a loud button. So you press it and it has a valve that opens up in the exhaust system and you get tons of V8 rumble and noise, even at low speed, which is what you want, right? Um, I mean, we your average speed in Sydney when you're driving it as a commuter is probably 45 k's an hour or less. So you've got to have this stuff going at low speed to enjoy what you've paid for. But you don't. You don't get it. And um, and there's lag. Oddly enough, as a supercharged mm. V8, there's lag down low, which I also didn't like. Um, so two things which they could easily fix with that loud button. Um, and I, I don't know quite why the lag is there. Um uh, Superchargers uh, better than turbos in terms of lag, although Porsche would Porsche have achieved miracles with that. And there's no lag in their twin turbos, um, but yeah, so very annoying, Mandy, uh, not to hear this. And you kind of want to put it in sport mode, which makes everything a lot less, a lot more frenetic, and um, not really great in uh, crawling traffic, if you like. So you don't, you tend to go back to the normal mode which, you know, subdues and muffles the, the V8 sound. Uh, and it's only when you're sort of crawling around a car park, believe it or not, do you, un- do you get to feel this nice, low, deep idle of a V8. So, and then you get the impracticality stuff. Um, uh, you know, getting into this vehicle, uh, you've really got to haul yourself up. It does lower down uh, by itself when you turn the car off so that you can easily access the vehicle um but i mean when the engine's going you're trying to get someone in the back you've got to vir- virtually ha- press a button on the seat that slides the that electrically slides the seat forward then you've got a le- lever to bend the seat forward and then you make your way into the back now when you're in the back there's actually quite a lot of room you know it's a it's still a big vehicle and and the seats are very very comfortable although i might add for this vehicle if you want to punt it into a few corners and use its performance because about 0 to 105.25.4 um uh you you don't really have enough bolster to hold you in there so you end up hanging onto the wheel quite tightly as a way of you know <laughs> positioning your torso properly so that it doesn't lean everywhere uh, and this car will lean if you don't have it in sport mode. There's no question. It's a bit of a boat. Um, so not quite what I was expecting, guys. Um, this is actually quite a surprise, Croft, because you always talk about how good cars are that you drive, and, and yeah. this time you've been sort of the opposite. Was there a real main standout that you really liked about the car? Yeah, the look. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the look and and the fact that, I know and probably other people know with the four pipes out the back and there's fairly small pipes and all the black badging V8, you've got a very special vehicle there that you're not going to see every day mm. and you're probably not going to see every month, uh, even in Sydney. So I think they could have, with a couple of things rectified, the noise, um, uh, I don't know if you can make it easier to get in the back of one of these things, but it's quite a chore, let me tell you. Um and the seats don't fold exactly flat. It's another thing if you're loading. And in the back, it's got like a, a bracing bar, if you like, to separate the rear, the, the very back of the vehicle in the boot um, to the next stage of the vehicle. Um, and that so you can't just lay surfboards down 
easily without you need to lay towels down or wetsuits, whatever, to protect you what you're laying in there. So all in all, um, I'd buy the 110 even though it doesn't look as good. I'd still buy the 110. Then uh, I've heard on the grapevine that a lot of people are spending money um, to uh, bring the noise up and change exhaust systems. Yeah, well. It seems like the most obvious solution, right? Like, yes, it would be nice if it was louder from the factory, but there are noise regulations and things like that. So what you'd just do is buy one and just, you know, make some modifications I, yourself. I, I, I question, though, how many people are actually buying a Defender 90 that really use the rear seats. Like, if you needed the – if you actually were hauling around family members or whatnot, wouldn't you just buy the 110 anyway? The 90 is very much a, a style-focused mm. model. I, I 100% it's based on style. But a couple of times I had Riley back from the States and uh, put daughter, her in. Prof, sorry, your daughter? Your daughter? Uh, Riley, my daughter. Yes. Right um, <laughs> and, and um, uh, you know, like it, she's 5'11". Like it's a big stretch for her to get up there as well and tuck these giant legs um, into this vehicle. Just getting in there is a, is a big chore and I, I think you end up, you know, it's be, it's so hard work that you don't want to go near it. And you know, I'll I'll take another car, but yeah, Will's right. You buy the one ten, and I, and suffer the fact that it's not quite as stylistically or aesthetically beautiful. I think as well, it's probably worth noting here that this will probably be the last Jaguar Land Rover vehicle with that supercharged five liter V eight because you got the hundred percent. The F types going out of production. Um, the yeah. F Pace SVR is confirmed to be going sometime by mid-decade, and then there's just this. Yeah. So it's nice the engine yeah. stuck around, but I'm a little disappointed to hear you you weren't really that big, big of a fan of it. it because is. I mean, what else that out there really has a supercharger nowadays? Like that, that mm. not much. Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, we're we're attending the last F-type drive in a couple of months in Europe. That's the last time that you'll ever see a natural. Uh, uh, well. An inducted but supercharged V8 in a Jaguar sports car, mm. which is interesting. Um, same way Maserati going with um, Gran Turismo. They've got a Folgore electric version and a uh, twin turbo six mm. as well. So everyone's getting out of V8. So they're going to be rare. And as Will said, this is the last one. So I'm sure they'll go up in value um, yeah. even with that price, you know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, with the exhaust thing, I don't see why you need to spend 200 and then spend another five or 10 grand on the exhaust. It's, and that kind of irks me um, when you can just get away with it with regulations like every other person does and have a, um, a button in there which you can press um, and get some noise happening with this vehicle. Like, have you ever heard of Quiet AMG G63? There's no such thing. You buy it because it's got noise. Uh, <laughs> new c63s performance <laughs> well, not in the g-wagon probably yeah. never uh, Croft, i sort of heard just a couple of seconds in your review talking about the defender that you've been driving a, a number of performance suvs what are well, you driving i have mandy i've kind of wrapped up the the really high performance trio in the uh, lamborghini performante urus the aston martin dbx 707 and the porsche kn gt turbo they're the really high performance stuff i bentley have got the bentayga speed but that's not really in the same vein of these things these things can charge on track and in fact i only drove the urus performante in europe on track no road drive so that gives you an idea of what these vehicles are capable of and um, the, the reviews of both the 707 DBX, which was a road drive, 
um, against the Euros being a track drive, and then I've driven the Porsche Cayenne GT around the roads in Sydney. So I haven't really exploited that. But if you want my take on it, it the Porsche Cayenne GT is actually sharper and I dare say quicker than the Lamborghini uh, Urus Performante, even though the 0-100s match 3.3 seconds with all of them, in fact. But the Porsche feels that 30 or 20 to 30% sharper all round and more the driver's car. Can you believe that? I mean, Lamborghini produced the Urus Performante as a driver's, you know, high-performance SUV, and yet I feel the Porsche, which is about 100 grand cheaper, than the Euros Performante is actually the real driver's performance SUV. And then if you want the most comfort, well, that goes to DBX 707 from Aston Martin. So an interesting little play on, you know, the very few people can afford these things. They're all three to 400,000 plus. Um, but, you know, they pack a lot of technology and amazing, amazing dynamics where you can actually go on track and go flat out as I did in the Euros Performante in an SUV that weighs, you know, two and a half ton or two point wow. ton in that case. Interesting. Awesome. Um, is that Defender Review up on the site now? Quick? Not yet, Mandy. I'm getting to okay. that one next as soon as I can. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we look forward to uh, yeah. reading it then. Lovely. There goes another car expert podcast. Now, guys, just before we do wrap up, I, I, I saw this on the site this week that the Taliban <laughs> have revealed a hypercar. I had to sort of... Do a double take. Is this true? It's it's, it's not, not a fever a dream. <laughs> oh, Mandy, I was just saying, I, I I didn't know what to make of that story. I mean, no. normally they'd present a new weapon system, but um, I guess you could say this is uh, a, you know, a supercar Speed. weapon system. <laughs> um, from my perspective, it actually looks damn good. <laughs> like, I agree. Like, it, there's a bit of Aston Martin in there. There's a bit of... Uh, like probably next gen McLaren somewhere hiding there, but I don't know. Who, I I I can't pronounce the guy's name that designed it, but um, and it's Formula One technology. What my question is: Why does the Taliban want to build a hypercar? Uh, I, I don't think, know. You got any thoughts, Will? <laughs> I think the better question is: Why would they think that this would be a, a good PR move? Like after everything that they've been doing to their to Afghanistan, subjugating women, etc. Oh, introducing a hypercar seems like a really odd way to get some positive PR and credibility on the global yeah. stage. It's it's just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know if they're just taking credit for somebody else's design, you know, but uh, this is just absolutely gobsmacking. Honestly, when I saw this article pop up, it feels like I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes to write down my dreams and then I read them later. I'm like, what the hell was I dreaming about? What nonsense. And I think the Taliban design a new hypercar and reveal it to the global stage uh, is one of those kind of weird dreams, but, but it's real. But Will, if we take the politics out, what, what do we think of the car? Like, well, like apparently said, it just has a Toyota Corolla engine in it, Tony. I mean, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it's just a, a body on top of well, potentially whatever they've cobbled together. Like, no, and they've got aspirations you, yeah, of yeah. making an electric version, but I, I'm not sure Afghanistan has traditionally had much of a car industry. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's not Iran. Can we? Can we um, Andy, what do you reckon of it? No, oh, I, I, I agree with you, Croft. I, I think it's actually. Really pretty. <laughs> the design is stunning. <laughs> what are they going to do with it, though? I don't. I, I, I don't understand the point of it. But anyway. I, think, I think Will's got the 
there's I don't know why they would do that. Yeah. Like Will said, it's just bizarre and it's uh, probably requires little more explanation than that, to be honest. I think so, yes. Uh, now, Will, what cars have we got coming up in the garage? So in the Melbourne office, we've got the BMW X3 xDrive 30i, Mazda BT50 LE, Nissan Qashqai STL, uh, Porsche Macan T, and the Genesis Electrified GV70. Really keen to get behind the wheel of that eventually. Up in Sydney, we've got the Honda Civic VTI LX, uh, Land Rover yes. Defender 110, Nissan Pathfinder TIL, and Toyota Yaris Cross GR Sport. Finally, up in Brisbane, we're also getting behind the wheel of the new Nissan Qashqai and TI guys, and I'll be taking the Isuzu MUX LST for a spin. Nice. And we've got a few events coming up as well. Yes, a few events. Uh, So James Wong will be going to the launch of the BMW 7 Series in Melbourne, and then he will be heading to the Australian Open uh, and getting the chance to drive the Kia EV6 GT. Very exciting. Um, Also, Tony, you're going to something this week, aren't you? I am, Will, and um, heading to Canberra or based out of Canberra, heading down the snowy mountains in Audi's um, EV supercars, the uh, e-tron and e-tron RS. Uh, so that'll be uh, new territory for me because uh, I've only ever seen one of these on a stage. So uh, be quite interesting to, to drive this and it's a real, obviously it's a Taycan competitor effectively so it'll be interesting to see how the e-tron does against its uh i guess um sibling you'd call it or cousin mm. it sounds matter. like you that you'll be going to the same potentially the same route as we went on the e-tron s launch because we took that up oh, to really? the snowy mountains as well yeah yep. i know canberra is a really I, I popular think- location for launches but that e-tron gt yeah. having seen one in person in germany a few months ago it's absolutely beautiful. It might be one of the most beautiful Audis ever designed. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah. yeah I, I, my, my take on that is that, and when I saw it, it, it is a beautiful looking car and it's beautifully designed. Um, but is it uh, futuristic enough to cater to those people with lots of money that want an EV? And I know Taycan has done that very successfully. I think the uh, proof will be in the pudding of e-tron. Uh, do people with that kind of cash want a car that looks um, not that futuristic um, in a way, but rather a beautiful design? That, that 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 was my take on when I saw it on stage. But like I said, you never know until you drive these things, and then even then, uh, when you can live with it for a week, you only really do all the nuances surface, and you get a better <laughs> understanding of that vehicle. Well, we look um, forward to uh, hearing all about it when you uh, come back yeah. from that launch, Croft. Hundred percent. Now, if you are a newcomer to the Car Expert podcast, thank you for listening. Or if you've uh, been around us for quite some time, you haven't given us a rating yet, please do. Um, we would really appreciate it. That is a wrap for this week's podcast. Tony Crawford and William Stopford, thank you. Thanks so much, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy. <laughs>